Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2023, we're running our annual Radiothon, where we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy the podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR Digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning everybody, Annie here for Solidarity Breakfast, our politics with Wheaties on 3CR, your community radio station. And today we're going to follow up that little... Uh, um, uh, shows stick together with uh, its uh, look at um, what's valuable and what's not. <laughs> uh, we're going to uh, have a um, look at the Common Social Change Library. We've got a new contributor to Solidarity Breakfast, Danilla, and she's put together a, a very interesting conversation with Ian McIntyre from the uh, Common Social Change Library. Uh, Common Social Change Library, which I won't uh, spoil the um, the information because they, they describe it very well and why it's important for activists to know that there's this great resource out there online for them, uh, for us. We're going to follow that up with a chat with Miles Parnell Gilbert. He's from the Friends of MacIver Reserve, which is out in uh, the West. Uh, it's covered by the Maribyrnong Council. Uh, it's been a long-term reserve, uh, open, unstructured um, parkland uh, for the community there. The council has got some mad idea that it wants to build a uh, basketball stadium on this incredibly precious piece of open uh, land for the community. It's uh, you'll know, of course, that the West is uh, changing. It's from uh, a deeply working class status to a more aspirational area, with uh, the increases in house prices, in particular. Uh, there's a big community pushback, but one of the things that's just happened, uh, it's you know uh, being solidified is uh, a green ban that's being placed on it by the construction uh, industry uh, unions, uh, which is a new development. So we're going to talk to Miles to get an understanding of that particular issue. Uh, Of course, we all know that uh, the issue of uh, um, community resources within our local areas is a very hot topic and uh, 
we lose things if we don't fight for them. So Miles is going to have a chat with me about that. He did. Um, this is the week that was, and uh, hopefully we're going to catch up with Catherine Strong. She's part of the Extinction Rebellion Occupy for Climate, which has been going on in Melbourne 25th, 26th, and this is the last day. You will be aware, perhaps, of uh, what's been the controversy that's been going on in South Australia following the Extinction Rebellion Occupy um, uh, over there, it's uh, been linked anyway, the legislation, the draconian legislation that the Labor South Australian government, which seems to be just a complete um, dog's breakfast, deciding that it wants to pass legislation that will fine uh, uh, people fi- up to $50,000 or put the, and put them in jail for months for... Uh, uh, you know, standing up for uh, their democratic rights within a liberal democracy. Well, there you go. Uh, There is a big pushback um, and we'll see what happens there. But uh, similar uh, legislation, not as draconian, but similar legislation is sneaking in in Victoria, uh, in New South Wales, uh, Tasmania and uh, Western Australia because uh, nothing can uh, be allowed to stop the juggernaut of the economy, uh, despite the warning signs from uh, the environment and the needs of uh, the community in general. So hopefully uh, Catherine can tell us about what's been going on in the CBD over the last few days. Uh, But before we get on with that, some important information. 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June. We need your financial support to be independent, community-controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station radical and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2023. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. And of course, if you enjoy this program, you can always uh, put your uh, moolah towards uh, this program because that's how 3CR does it. We all work together, but uh, we're all working in our separate ways to uh, ensure that our programs continue over the next year. Uh, go online, 3cr.org. Uh, dot au forward slash donate and you can um, definitely put your money where your mouth is or your ear is really. (laughs) Um, There's some really fine uh, posters that have uh, every year uh, there's um, a new uh, twist on the Radiothon theme and uh, this year's is very colourful so if you're a person who likes to collect posters drop into 3CR and uh, see what you can uh, scrounge because they're pretty nice I'll have to say this year. as I said, uh, Anila, who's our new uh, contributor to Solidarity Breakfast, has contributed this uh, rather interesting conversation with Ian McIntyre, um, and he's from the Commons Social Change Library, as well as all these other things that he does. But if you don't know what the Commons Social Change Library is, then you're in for a treat. My name's Ian McIntyre. I'm a Melbourne-based writer, researcher and community radio broadcaster. 
And one of the key projects that I'm involved with is the Common Social Change Library. Can you tell me a bit more about the Common Social Change Library? Um, what do you guys do? Yeah, so the library is it's an online library. It's not a, it's not a physical library. Um, so we have a website at commonslibrary.org which features over a 1,000 different resources basically to do with making social change. Our focus is very much on, I suppose, the kind of how-tos and skills to do with creating social change as well as sort of lessons from the past. Our sort of slogan or not our kind of um, motto, I suppose, is that we exist to make activism smarter and stronger. And so the commons part of our name kind of comes from the concept of commons and things that should be held in common. Uh, And in this case, we sort of are thinking about the knowledge of people who are engaged in social change and trying to bring that together in one accessible place so that we can kind of learn how to do things from each other, learn how to do things better from each other. So we have this website. All the materials are free, digital, directly available. Resources are in all sorts of formats. You can listen to podcasts. You can watch videos. You can read articles, web pages, downline guides, pamphlet books and other kind of materials. So say we have over a 1,000 resources. So, yeah, we cover a really kind of wide range of topics. So, I mean, we we sort of organise things into topic groups. So some examples are like campaign strategy, organising and organising manuals and, and approaches, digital campaigning, theories of change, tactics. Um, so history. when it comes to those resources... What is it about them that you think is so important for organisers and people interested in creating change? Why is it an important thing for them to have access to the information from past organisers and the evidence of past successful and maybe not so successful social movements? Yeah, well, I guess the key thing that pretty much comes up over and over when you talk to people involved with social change at at the very top is how do we win? (laughs) <laughs> and so winning requires doing a whole lot of other things, a whole lot of you know subtopics like the ones that I, I mentioned. We want to encourage, A, people to take action, B, to show them effective ways of taking action or a range of effective ways of taking action because we're not prescriptive. There's no you know particular model or particular single process that, that is always going to deliver victory. You have to sort of look at a situation and then, you know, examine that and then work out a plan, a strategy. I appreciate that you obviously think of this as entirely contextual, different contexts require different strategies. But I noticed when I was looking through the library that there's a really large focus on change and what it requires to create change and you know, the practicalities of change. It's not just symbolic. It's a process that requires strategy, as you've just said, and it requires practical decision-making and implementation. Do you have a stance on how to make change? Is it something moderate and strategic, working with systems that pre-exist so that you can kind of get the most out of the situation that we have now? Or do you 
think of change as something that can be more radical and straight to the point and transformative? I'm pretty loath to, uh, I guess, um, sort of lay down how I think people should do things. And I think with the library, we cover all those kind of methods. Uh, I mean, I think the most effective campaigns are often ones that have multiple sets of tactics and strategies going on at the one time. So I think that's really important to have sort of a diversity and a range of things that you're applying. I think ones that are often the most successful, therefore, yeah, kind of require like a range of actors. So people from more moderate through to people who want to overthrow the system as soon as possible. Uh, and so the combination of those will often win particular campaigns. I think in the long run... Um, you know, so that's in terms of short to medium run. In the longer run, um, yeah, I do think, you know, there needs to be quite significant structural change in society because the way things are currently set up and, and the people who hold the overwhelming majority of resources and power put hard limits on, on what we can achieve without taking that power and those resources from them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in terms of coming back to the library, I mean, I suppose there's sort of two sets of resources, really, broadly. There's the kind of skills ones, which I guess can often be applied to a more moderate lobbying-type cam- letter-writing-type campaign through to a more radical campaign. And that's things like sort of, you know, digital skills, ways of sharing messages, how to have conversations with people, that kind of nuts and bolts stuff. So we provide a lot of information about that and I guess also information about, you know, when new methods come through, we update. And then the other side, I suppose, is what we were more talking about just then, which is kind of approaches, I guess, what you might call the kind of art of campaigning. So, you know, um, figuring out, you know, via skills-based stuff like mapping... And research, <laughs> you know, who, who, who are the real power holders in a situation? Who do you need to move in order to um, create success? What are the best ways of getting your message out, which often requires, these things require intuition, but, you know, there's certain approaches that can kind of focus that intuition. And mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Hi, I'm Ahmed from Fridor Primary School, and you're listening to Community Radio on the 3CR. And you're with Annie, and uh, we're listening to a conversation that our new t- contributor, Anila, had with Ian McIntyre, Commons Social Change Library. And uh, they went on to uh, talk a little bit about uh, some examples of people and how they've used the library. Have you got any examples of where this kind of information has been applied and the library in particular has allowed people to create change and bolster their social movements? Uh, yeah, look, we, we get over, uh, we get thousands of hits per week and I think in the three or so years since we've begun, we've over, had over um, one and a half million hits. So on that basis, we know somebody's looking at the website. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> hopefully they're learning from it. But, I mean, we also get kind of direct feedback from people. We see people sharing our materials and social media posts online. We've got various groups from people like Council of Aging New South Wales or the Wilderness Society and others have provided us with nice testimonials where they say, you know, like that as advocates or activists, they're continually looking at the sites. Um, yeah, so we can sort of see from that that people are using it. We, we certainly hear back from people that they're using it. We've had people like the Leading Change Network who uh, shared a lot of the work by um, sort of organising... Um, I don't want to use the word guru, but <laughs> <laughs> organising uh, whiz or whatever, Marshall Gams, um, you know, they chose to bring their materials to us to host on the library and to get us to ho help them build, um, you know, their own website and so forth. So, so we definitely get that kind of feedback. And that the kind of queries as well kind of help us to see, I suppose, that people are using the site and that they also sort of help us respond to movement needs. So recently we had somebody get in touch um, who's dealing with um, an industry front group. So, you know, there's some sort of, won't name them, but there's a group who are, um, you know, on the surface seem interested in the community and interested in the environment, but actually they're a fossil fuels front group trying to stop wind power. Does that happen and often? These front groups, yep. Um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, either, I mean, some of them have a genuine roots perhaps in the community, but a lot of them, um, there's a long history of corporations and so forth funding groups, which appear to be community groups, but are basically either trying to create demand for a product. I mean, that's something we see, you know, we saw particularly, I guess the example would be the U.S., around drugs like OxyContin and stuff. You know, there were industry groups set up to kind of create, oh, there's a demand, we need something for pain, and then the drug companies were able to come out and go, well, here you go, <laughs> we've got a nice product for you. <laughs> but, you know, within Australia, you know, John Saffron's recent book, and there's a long history of um, kind of exposés of groups that appear to be around health and reform for health that are actually, you know, tobacco company front groups. And within the climate change sphere, I mean, one of the things that's really fueled scepticism and really helped hold back things in Australia have, have been these industry front groups. So, yeah, so this person got in touch. Now, we've got lots of materials on the website about misinformation and dealing with disinformation. We've got stuff on the website about messaging and counter-messaging, like how can you, you know, what, what are different ways you can get your ideas out in a way that people will listen to them? Uh, what are ways that you can counter messages, you know, that the opposition are giving? But we didn't really, we don't really have, we realised through this query that we didn't really have something about how do you spot an industry front group. And so hopefully, you know, we're sort of hoping that the activists who got in touch, we can now work with them to kind of develop that. And I suppose the last thing would be we also try to respond to what we can see you know, is happening around, um, you know, different activist movements, particularly in Australia, and how can we respond by putting collections of resources together or coming in to support people. So, you know, with, with the crackdown on protest, 
particularly environmental protests in Australia and threatened jailings and so forth, you know, in response to that, we put a bit of a collection together about how, you know, drawing, again, as the Commons does, it's not out of my head or out of the other librarians' heads, it's drawing from, you know, Australia's activist community, but bringing, you know, bringing that together to talk about, you know, how do you support people when they're in jail, what do you do around arrests and that kind of thing. Um, and is there a way that interested no. listeners would be able to support the library in providing the support that you provide to these activist groups? Yeah, so people, I mean, there's a number of ways people can support us. One is just, yeah, use the library. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you've got experiences that you want to share or you've seen a, a good resource, perhaps it's internal to a group that you've worked with, or you think there's a learning point that could be shared, you know, share it with us. People are most welcome to, you know, create resources, send them to us, or get in touch with us. People can, of course, donate to us to help us with, you know, sort of running costs and all that stuff. And people can also volunteer. You know, right now we're um, running a big project about making activism accessible, and, um, yeah, volunteers are, like, a really big part of sort of helping us with that particular project to kind of translate activist resources into accessible formats, which is easy read. Um, but... Can you tell us a bit more about what it is that can sometimes prevent activism from being more accessible and also what your project, for instance, Easy Read, actually provides? Often... Um... Well, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I think often, you know, it, it's just like any other part of society. It's often kind of easy for people to forget about people with disabilities or to feel like, you know, the changes that are required to make things more accessible are kind of too difficult or too expensive and there's too much rush on to do other things. At the same time, I think there's a real, really strong desire people to make things more accessible, whether it's kind of websites and information can be kind of read and taken in more easily or that their events are open and able to be understood and participated in by people with a range of disabilities. So I think that, you know, there's a genuine interest in this stuff. And so, so far we've produced a couple of guides to making events more accessible and we've seen, yeah, again, on, on social media and so forth, those shared around a lot. We've had some good feedback about those. I mean, we're not perfect ourselves, so we're also in the process of kind of updating our website and the way that we use images and the way our text is on the website and making other tweaks to make our website more accessible. In terms of Easy Read, Easy Read basically involves creating documents, you know, for people who have difficulty reading. So that might be people with intellectual disabilities or low literacy or people with English as a second language. And it's something that some government departments are increasingly doing and some disability groups, organising groups themselves are doing. But, yeah, we've done some training with a disability organisation so that we can translate some of our materials. So you wind up with a, a document where you have a series of single sentences in quite simple language with an image and, you know, you just break down concepts and stuff. It's, it's not really e simple to do, 
but um, we felt that it was an important thing for us to do. The other part of this project is that we're kind of collecting and creating new resources with case studies and examples of activism by people with disability. So the things that they've done over the years, their ideas, you know, we've got various disability activists sort of helping with that. Mm -hmm. And we're also going to be holding a seminar in May and then kind of sharing resources about what activist groups can do to make their activities and, and their work more accessible. So where's the library heading? Oh, well, <laughs> well, we're always adding new materials. Things are always changing and there's so many different issues and so many different methods. So, so we're definitely adding new materials all the time. We're trying to get ourselves out there more in some forms. I mean, at the moment with social media, we're mainly kind of on Facebook and Instagram and so definitely looking for volunteers and, and other people who can help us get our shared activist knowledge out via other channels like sort of you know, TikTok and um, LinkedIn and, and, and Twitter, to what degree people are still using that. After we've got the accessibility project happening at the moment, it's a big part of our time. I'm working with members and former members of the University of Melbourne's Casuals Network on an oral history about you know, the amazing campaign they ran there, 2019-2020, where they um, really rejuvenated the, the branch and created this casuals network who were able to force a number of concessions from management, most importantly being that management have now paid back $45 million in stolen wages. And that came out of a, a grassroots member-led campaign. And, and so we're helping them put that together because we think that would be a uh, really useful resource for um, unionists and uh, university workers and workers beyond that across the country. Great. I'll have to make sure to keep my eyes on that. And uh, that was uh, from Anila, our new contributor. Very interesting stuff. Her chat with Ian McIntyre from the Commons Social Change Library. It's on the net. You can have a look. And <clears throat> obviously you can also involve yourself. Hi, my name is Lex Wharton and I listen to 3CR and I hope you do too. I hope that you could support 3CR in its radiothon because 3CR supports the fight for communities and support in all areas of struggles. So please listen to 3CR. Are you feeling depressed about the future of our planet? The Eco-Socialism 2023 conference could address your worries by providing a platform for radical solutions. Activists from around the world will examine the links between the ecological, economic and political crises of our time. You'll hear from Japanese Marxist Kohei Saito, author of Capital in the Anthropocene, who argues that capitalism's pursuit of unlimited growth and profits the major barrier to ecological sustainability. Inspirational speakers from the Asia-Pacific region, including India, Pakistan and the Philippines, will take up the fight for climate justice and against war and fascism. Eco-socialism also highlights women's and queer oppression. 
First Nations sovereignty, and so much more, including a session featuring former refugee Baruz Bachani. For more information and bookings, go to our website, ecosocialism.org.au. Ecosocialism 2023, a world beyond capitalism, Saturday, July 1 to Sunday, July 2 at Victorian Trades Hall. A 3CR supporter. Super groovy 
Emma Donovan, get over it. Uh, you're on 3CR with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast. And we're now going to move to the issue of local amenities, green spaces in your suburbs. But this particular discussion is about uh, Friends of MacGyver Reserve, which is in uh, the west. It's in Yarraville. And uh, I had a chance to chat with Miles Parnell-Gilbert, who's been working with others for over 18 months to get it onto the agenda that uh, uh, putting a uh, basketball stadium on a uh, unstructured piece of uh, long-term green space in an overpopulated suburb isn't the answer that the council thinks it is, and perhaps even the state government. Anyway, I had a chat with um, Miles, and this is what he had to say. Let's start off with uh, what are the issues that are surrounding the MacIver Reserve for community members? Yeah, I think the main issues are the fact that, um, you know, our, our action, the campaign has been around the misuse of precious green space within Maribyrnong. Um, and that's really where it all started a year ago. You know, the council um, brought out a, a master plan to look at developing the park, and most people were expecting, you know, to see improvements in, you know, parkland facilities, greening the space, improving situation for existing tenants. Uh, and what we ended up seeing was basically an execution of a plan to build um, and large indoor stadium on uh, what we refer to as the unstructured recreational space of MacGyver Reserve. So uh, that's the issue really is, um, you know, we're concerned about the continued loss of green space in Maribyrnong. Um, the climate emergency is pretty evident to everybody by this stage. Um, and it's all connected, whether it's, you know, pollution from trucks, poor air quality, um, you know, noise, um, heat sink um, problems, um, lack of trees, lack of green space. It's all part of the same problem. Um, so MacGyver Reserve is just one of many parklands, many green spaces. Um, and, um, you know, if you look at it as a, like a death by a thousand cuts, this is yet another one and a bit hectares of green space, potential tree space, um, that's going to be lost to development that should really occur somewhere else. And there's a couple of things going on in that conversation that you had. I mean, MacIver Reserve is a really unusual place, isn't it? Um, it's historically one of the only places in Maribyrnong that's always been green space. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So um, when it was gifted by Wing, William Anglis to the people, um, even um, back then it was it was recognised that, um, you know, the West had an industrial future um, and it was important that green spaces were kept uh, for the livability of uh, working residents as a sort of separation between industrial area and residential area. Um, you know, when we look at, um, you know, a lot of the parks around Maribyrnong, they're old rubbish tips, they're remediated, um, you know, toxic sites, asbestos sites. Um, MacGyver Reserve is one of the few places that's been nothing but a park its whole life. You know, Brad Mills was next door, um, but um, from the original being basically a grazing paddock uh, to being donated as an area that shouldn't be built on, that's all it's ever been. Um, 
And in terms of, uh, you know, the cost of delivering more green space for the community, how does it make sense to, you know, take away a perfectly good green space that's uncontaminated, that's been nothing but green space, and replacing it down the track with the remediation of a toxic site at our cost? It makes no sense. Um, the, the other thing is that there's uh, slated to be increasing amounts of uh, residential spaces being created in uh, Maribyrnong. So the reduction in uh, unstructured green space is actually going to be a, um, a reduction in uh, livability in the area, right? Yeah, well... Um... You know, there's lots of metrics um, that we can point to that, that show us that, you know, health, health outcomes, mental and physical health outcomes are both directly linked uh, to our connection to the natural environment in a city. Um, you know, the figures that we've often referred to are from a, a study by Horton Innovation, which was done in conjunction with the RMIT. Um, and, you know, it shows the the trends that are occurring between 2013 and 2020. And what we're seeing is, uh, you know, a reduction in tree cover, a reduction in shrub coverage, um, huge reductions in grass bare ground. Um, the one thing that's on the increase is hard surfaces, you know, um, and developments. Um, so we can look at all of the, I guess, the, the plans and the evidence and the um, strategies to increase green space. We know that the government, we know that local government and the state government recognise this as a problem. What we're not seeing is it turn into practical outcomes. You know, we're not, we're seeing a project like this is taking away something like the equivalent of, you know, 30 or 40 pocket parks in one foul swoop with the intention that they, you know, could potentially replace it with a park uh, at the old hospital site sometime in the future. Um, so the, I guess the preservation of green space isn't coming out in the, in the actions that we're seeing from government. And this is a problem. Um, you know, at the same time, the inner West's population is earmarked to increase dramatically. You know, the state government want to bring a million people into the state. Um, they want to bring many of those into the inner West. Um, and every time the population grows, the per square metre space of open space or green space per person reduces. So not only are we not creating it fast enough, but we're also, you know, basically making it almost unusable for the people that are that are using it now. That's really the key, isn't it? That um, they're uh, not prioritising green space. They're prioritising developments like a stadium and... Uh, What's interesting is that they're setting against two two groups of people against each other when in actual fact they should be natural allies. Yeah, well, I mean, um, you know, um, people trying to protect Mackay Reserve have never been against um, sporting infrastructure. Um, you know, the, the Council's open space strategy clearly says that infrastructure that doesn't require open space to function shouldn't be built on open space. And that's our problem. You know, so, yeah, it's pretty clear. Um, the, you know, I've spoken to, there's a basketballers in Friends of MacGyver Reserve um, that um, understand the need for sports infrastructure, but they don't want to sacrifice it 
um, they don't want to sacrifice green space for it. The council coming up with this plan as if it's a fait accompli is pretty outrageous, actually. Um, look, I guess we went into this a bit naive at the start. We expected that, you know, if we uh, made all the good arguments and we pointed out um, the absurdity of building on this park uh, when there are brown sites available, that uh, common sense would prevail. Um, but as the months rolled on, um, it became pretty clear that, um, you know, this is an objective they wanted to reach. And I, I suspected it was from a state level as well. This is an objective that they wanted to happen. Um, and, you know, all of our arguments really fell on deaf ears. The thousands of uh, comments that were made, questions, letters to council, um, attending meetings, um, you know, um, putting together a petition with 3,000 signatures, asking them not to build on it and pointing out why. Um, it really, uh, you know, it didn't change the the direction of the train that was chugging towards putting a stadium on Mackay Reserve. Um, I guess one of the significant uh, points for us, um, you know, when we're being, I guess people are considering that's just another small community group that are concerned about their park. Um, I think that uh, that myth was dispelled when the CFNEU came on board, you know, an organisation that has a, a history of uh, protecting um, green space for the people. Um, and I think that really was significant in broadening the argument, you know, that this is a bigger issue. It's an issue that concerns all of us. It's part of a bigger problem. Um, and, you know, I can say yesterday um, the... You know, originally the CFMEU backed Mackay Reserve and um, the protection of the green space. Yesterday, a uh, representative from the uh, MUA went to the um, uh, building industry group meeting, um, which is a weekly meeting of all of the uh, building industry unions, which includes the, uh, you know, the uh, electrical trades, plumbing, um, manufacturing. Um, there was also representatives of the Trades Hall Council. Um, and the motion that they put forward yesterday um, was that the unions of the building industry support Friends of MacGyver Reserve and their fight opposing Maribyrnong City Council's decision to construct a stadium on MacGyver Reserve. The union supports protection of this unstructured public space, and that has now been accepted and endorsed. So, um, you know, the CEO of Maribyrnong said in one meeting that she'd uh, not heard from the unions uh, on the issue, um, I think if uh, if um, local council and state government are not hearing this message from the unions, um, then they're not listening hard enough. This is a very significant development because really what it's talking about is that working class people are, are allowed to have um, proper livable spaces to be in and that it's the council's job and the state government's job to actually protect that livability. Um, you've also told me that uh, they are relatively secretive about the alternative sites, the browns, uh, brown sites that you're talking about. The, the, the council have got lots of good policies to point at. The open space strategy of 2015 is parts of the planning scheme, urban forest strategy, the living Melbourne strategy. All of these things describe and explain what should be done to protect the environment. Um, you know, Infrastructure Australia, which is a government 
department that acts to you know independently advise the government on infrastructure they've identified in 2018 the issues of poor developments being rolled out in communities that are not well integrated and the fact that um, major cities have to remain livable in order to grow and meet the challenges of new cities as our uh, argument with the council evolved um, you know they 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 made it fairly clear that no brown sites were available um, for this. They've looked, there's simply nothing available. Um, we know that, um, you know, in 2018 they had uh, they had a uh, the indoor stadium strategy in which they they named, you know, I think it was 11 sites. Um, Mackay Reserve was was amongst one of them. Um, it was identified as uh, really only being appropriate for up to four. Uh, courts uh, and having a problem um, with uh, access. Um, you know, we would argue that it should never have been on that list in the first place. Um, based on the open, uh, you know, the open space strategy of 2015, um, being a green site, it shouldn't have been an option for development. Um, you know, there were sites of, the, of those original 11 sites, there were some that were written off because they wouldn't be available for four years. Now, of course, if they'd acted on those now, um, they'd have a, a functioning stadium. Um, when it comes to, you know, through the course of uh, our campaign, um, many suggestions were made for other sites that were available, the spoil sheds at the end of Somerville Road, sites on Mitchell Street, Tottenham Station, Vic Track sites. Um, and the council's, um, you know, been very secretive about all of that, the, the detail of why those things are not available. Um, and, you know... Part of the, one of their mandates under the Local Government Act is to be transparent with the community. Um, and I think that includes telling us why a brown site's available and not available, why it's not suitable, why it could be suitable. Um, I think the people deserve to know that. Um, we're still pursuing those answers um, to find out, you know, why uh, are these sites being, you know, um, earmarked for... Uh, land banked for future development? Um, are they being earmarked for um, for other developments? Um, either way, it shouldn't be something that we have, that they should be able to hide behind commercial and confidence. That should be something that we can access as a community, should be part of this conversation, being such an important factor, you know, in building on green space. So these alternatives that they either, um, you know, own or can acquire from the state. And those conversations are being swept away. They're not interested in talking about it, not even with councillors, at a councillor's level. Uh, it's very hard for any of that information um, to come out. Uh, it's actually extremely positive uh, for the campaign, for the unions to have stepped up. Yeah, I think, um, you know, people are asking, um, you know, where do we go from here? It feels like, um, you know, we've lost the battle. But um, I would say to all those people that support the protection of green space and, and have supported Friends of MacGyver Reserve and supported, you know, the parkland there. I think it's far from over. For starters, there's no funding right now. The council have basically endorsed a, a master plan to pursue the idea. It's going to be several years away before they break ground and several hurdles to cross, one of which would be trying to put out tenders to find people who are willing to build it with a uh, a union green ban on it. The other is going to be finding funding in an economic environment where there's no money for anything at the moment. We noticed in the draft 
budget for 23-24, the council have found $800,000 to spend at MacIver Reserve, not on uh, toilets or lighting or any of those fairly, you know, urgent and critical things that would uh, address some of the needs of users of the park, but to spend on, you know, concept drawings for a stadium. Yeah, that's what it is. It's yeah. outrageous. Yeah, well, you really can't afford not to fight for the for green space in, in urban environments, basically. That's just the point, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think the conversation is broadening. I mean, MacIver Reserve's not the first park that's going to be threatened. It's certainly not the last. You know, the council have told me that they actually want to deliver over 20 courts in the city. And that would be, what, three or four stadiums. If they are not prepared to build on brownfield sites to achieve that, what I consider, um, you know, fairly optimistic outcome for an LGA the size of ours, what are their options? I think every, you know, every green space, every reserve, every park is potentially in the crosshairs um, for future development. So, well, actually, it's not. It's not fair because, in actual fact, uh, stadiums of this sort only focus on a particular age groups and. Uh, unstructured green parks actually catered to all age groups. Yeah, well, that's true. You know, I mean, um, this um, the stadium is essentially catering to organised sport. It's a stadium of a, of a commercial size. In Victoria, I think it's 13% of people participate in active sport. Um, 87% of people don't. You know, all of those people use green space. They all use parkland. I guess the problem is for parks and green space is that there isn't really a lobby group per se. There's no one. They're kind of like the the silent majority who just expect parks to be there. There's plenty of groups in Maribyrnong that are fighting for it. River systems, friends of other groups. And hopefully going forward, we can get together and make this conversation a common place in the community and understanding, you know, that Maribyrnong has some of the least amount of urban uh, cover of any city in, in all of Australia. It's a concern. It's something that you don't really notice until you leave. You know, if you drive down to Geelong or you, you know, you head out to Hillsville for the weekend, it suddenly becomes apparent to you just how grey uh, and, and dusty the inner west is. You can become blind to it and you just come to expect that it's the status quo. But the fact that you're more likely uh, to get uh, asthma if you live in the inner west, um, more people die of, you know, pollution-related illness than die on the roads... And in the inner west, this is a concentrated issue. Yeah, I think uh, going forward, we want to make the protection of green space as fundamental a right as, you know, water and electricity and shelter, right? It's an important part of, of mental and physical health. It's not something that you can just, um, you know, hope we can do without. And all the efforts that the, the government are putting in to increase it, um, we're just not seeing that bore out, bear out in the statistics. Um, and we just can't imagine that based on the status quo with the increase in population coming, that what we have is going to meet future demand, you know. Um, and, you know, we know that the, the state government drive, um, you know, I guess vote gathering policy um, you know, building an infrastructure is much more sexy than leaving a park alone. When we're talking about the importance of Mackay Reserve, 
the, the stadium plan requires cutting down of 114 trees. And yes, they're, they're going to replace the trees, but you know we're talking about mature canopy right now. And we're talking about losing 1.2 hectares to a, a stadium and car parks, which is parkland that could be developed as parkland that could be green. Um, it could be improved. Now, you know, the it's a good initiative to take diesel trucks off local roads. That's certainly going to improve things at the ground level. But um, something people should think about is that, you know, in terms of the bigger climate, the bigger pollution issue, and the importance of MacGyver Reserve in that picture, is that the Westgate Tunnel Project has an exhaust chimney that's 55 metres tall. It's going to be the entrance to the tunnel uh, just south of the Brad Mills near the um, Mackay Reserve Soccer Club. So, yes, we're taking 10,000 cars a week off local roads going to the ports, but we're putting 10,000 cars into a tunnel, and then instead of, instead of spreading all of that exhaust across three or four kilometres, we're concentrating all of that unfiltered exhaust right at that park. And the government can say that it's not going to have significant pollution coming out of it. It doesn't require a filter to monitor it, and if it does require filtering, they'll put one in. My guess is that it doesn't matter how long it's there and, and what measurements they take, it will never require a filter. Um, I think it's, yeah, you know, it's a cost that they don't really want to bear, I'm sure. Um, but So what can we do if we can't filter the concentrated exhaust coming out right at MacGyver Reserve? What do we do? One option is to use nature to filter out that pollution um, and covering MacIver Reserve in many, many trees uh, would go towards that. There's lots of reasons why every inch of green space, no matter where it is, and in particular, the green space where it's important, like in this corner of our city, should be preserved. It should be a fundamental mandate for this council and it should be the highest priority. Right. These, this is a, it's a very simple and cheap solution to improving health in the West is to leave nature alone. Don't build on it. Thanks for talking to us, Miles, and good luck. This is a really important issue and, and everybody, all communities, should be uh, aware of what you guys are doing and take heart from your battle. Well, I appreciate that, Annie. And I, before I go, I'd just like to thank, um, you know, Everybody um, who joined Friends of MacGyver Reserve uh, Facebook page, um, everyone in the community who supported our campaign, everyone who's asked questions, um, donated money, uh, thousands of hours of community time, sent emails, um, and uh, really given us um, the energy to keep going and fight this. You know, we always knew it was going to be an uphill battle. Um, but uh, the one thing that we have is community support. It's the one thing that's kept this uh, campaign going, and it will keep it going. Um, if people, you know, want to know what to do next, by all means, uh, join Friends of Magru uh, Friends of MacIver Reserve Facebook page, um, so you can keep up with, um, you know, new events. Um, I think, uh, you know, in the bigger scheme of things. Um, if, if people in the community don't like um, the outcomes that they're seeing from the government, um, the one lever they always have is to vote for the right people, put the right people into local government um, who are sympathetic to the livability of the community, who place the interests of the community above, you know, uh, state objectives um, or financial concerns 
um, because our councillors are very important. They're one of the few levers we have in the government system um, that uh, allows us to question or overturn um, bad uh, government decisions. Um, so it's most important that you, you know, put your weight behind people that you know are doing the right thing for the local community. And uh, that's uh, Miles Parnell-Gilbert from Friends of MacIver Reserve talking about the battle and also the new development, which is that uh, the construction uh, industry unions have put a green ban on any future development of that site. So we'll see. Keep a watching brief on that particular issue. Uh, you're on 3CR with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast. A weak solidarity, Bricky team listener, when Lord Rupert of Wapping and his Wapping Sins daily objective and oh-so-balanced attacks on State Supremo the pejorative Dan were thrown asunder by an event so world-shattering that even Lord Rupert was forced to demote the attack on the pejorative D back a page or two. A footy coach had resigned. I suppose it was different in that he did resign when mostly they are sacked after days of the committee declaring, we have full faith in him. Footy speak for, he's for the chop. So this world-shattering demoted Dan and the Socialists for a day, but thankfully, every other day, screaming headlines on how evil is the government and the pejorative. Balanced reporting like one day attacking the government for making life difficult for renters, whom Lord Rupert obviously so cares about, and the next day when the government proposed a rent freeze, attacking it for making life difficult for landlords, whom Lord Rupert obviously so cares about. And an important article telling us modestly how the Wapping Sin remains Victoria's most influential media brand. Interesting that, not biggest selling or most read or whatever, most influential a sinking ship clutching for the lifeboat, perhaps, because after years of daily attacks on how evil the socialists and the pejorative Dan are, they keep getting elected by massive majorities. Not that we haven't got the odd criticism of Dan and the team ourselves, but mostly a touch different to Lord Rupert's criticisms. And as Lord Rupert's news very limited again balanced objective campaign against the voice persists, the federal government went to them and gave them a special briefing. Did they seriously think they'd change their opposition? Which worked a treat. As one of our finest, deeply knowledgeable commentators, Peter Incredulous, responded, The voice is a needless and frankly insulting change, quite toxic to any concept of one equal true blue Aussie. Like Lord Rupert, a great believer in equality. As in a timely and deeply thought through warning, caring business class party coalition supremo and would-be big supremo, Constable Peter Duffer, alerted Parliament and therefore all of us that a terrenulous voice would divide true blue Aussie on racial grounds. It would make some true blue Aussies more equal than others. Hear, hear, you tell them, Pete. Oh, thanks, Gina. Pete, we asked the giant mind. It's not like True Blue Aussie has uh, been divided on race for a mere 235 years. Absolutely not, like you know. And it's not like we've all been equal terra nullius and invader for 235 years. Absolutely not like. Uh, then you would have urged a no vote in the referendum years ago which acknowledged the terra nullius people weren't so nullius. 
certainly like. That started the rot that led us to where we, you know, like, ah, here, here, Pete. Thanks, Gina. Uh, what rot, Pete? Racism and inequality. Uh, what, suffered by the Terranilius people? Suffered like, you know, by the rest of us, by racism and inequality, like... And former big supremo Scummo crawled out from hibernation to support his current leader's in-depth analysis. One section of the Tebutunawasi community should not have special rights. Here, here, you tell them, Scummo. Thanks, Gina. Uh, Gina, we took the opportunity. You oppose some sections of the community having special rights? Certainly, inequality tears at the heart of the democratic process I so cherish. Uh, why are you here, by the way? I've just popped in to tell the government what to do and give them their orders. The, you didn't need to tell us award to the Trublowasi Capitalist Review in a lift-out about wealth. The time is ripe for the rich to get richer, it headlined, totally unnecessarily. Which bit of that is news? And the sub-editor knew there was no need to add, and the poor to get poorer. Especially as the rich getting richer. No, the poor will be so much better off because the rich are getting richer. A rising tide lifts all boats, they assure us. Although, can anyone spot the possible flaw in that analogy? Unless they mean drowning in debt. For those not drowning, the wealth special also proffers some sensible advice. Again, we suggest unnecessarily. How to live with yourself, it told them and still make returns. Easy. <laughs> Just don't have a conscience about the one thing they haven't got. But why tell them what they already know? Back to racism and inequality, shame on the federal court, the full bench, mind you, not just one long-haired commie judge, for highlighting Pete and Scummo and Gina's fears and warnings this week when it found the Commonwealth had acted illegally in granting a mining licence to Nabalco back in 1968 without the consent of the new match people, with compensation predicted to be in the millions, 700 million some suggest. The case brought originally by the recently deceased Yana Pingu, a posthumous example of the racism and inequality he practised against Pete and Scummo and Gina. Worse, oh so much worse, listener, the Commonwealth's Council said the decision could invalidate everything done by the Crown in relation to land between 1911 and 1968. The decision could impact all native title in the Northern Territory acquired by the Commonwealth between 11 and 78, the more equal than others, Terranilius people said, could open up a slew of new compensation claims, Billions in compensation. Some compensation for poor Gina, though, uh, through this distressing display of racism and inequality, is that the public purse and not the great resource giants, which benefited from destroying the environs, will pick up the bill. Not that life is meant to be easy for some poor, caring business class employers. These new buy-now-pay-later proposed laws, for instance, will, quote, throttle the industry, the industry has warned. Just because the government thinks the difficult bit of buy-now-pay-later, the pay-later bit, should be made a bit easier. Have they no concern for those making this altruistic offer out of the goodness of their profits, or, sorry, their hearts? 
And purveyors of tobacco products cry that restrictions on vaping and e-cigarettes will destroy their businesses. Poor dears. Who, after all, have to keep turning over new customers as the old ones turn over, so to speak, thanks to the purveyors of. Perhaps retired train killers could become purveyors of so they can go on killing people legally, let themselves down gently from the killing business. In the Oh dear, that was bad timing department story this week. Migrant workers unionised by stealth. Government proposals to import workers to fill aged care shortages with a plan for unions to provide an induction program. Forcing the poor caring employers to uh, complain this could prevent them from participating in the scheme. Again, bringing in inequality giving evil unions special privileges when caring employers would never dream of exploiting these workers, making it difficult to understand what they're worried about. Surely it's not providing workers with information might limit their ability to exploit them. Come on, perish the thought. So rotten timing, really. Very next day, another headline, underpayment rife among migrant workers. Damn. Must be inadvertent, of course. Employing is just so complicated, isn't it? No reason for unionised by stealth. God, they might know their rights. Not that the caring employers would dream of taking advantage of them. Oh, and let's quote one of our favourites. Industry Profits Group Supremo Innes will cost the workers. Unionised by stealth, not the underpayment bit, of course, raises significant concerns about union entry rights and the potential for the coercion of workers to join unions. Freedom of association includes the right to not join a union, displaying Innes's deep belief in human rights. And we mentioned last week how the Troubluwazi Business Profits Council told us equal pay and equal conditions for the same work, same work, same pay, would have an adverse effect on wages and jobs. Well, this week, BHP, for bloody huge profits, bloody huge polluters, said it feared the legislation. Oh no, fear. Showing how evil these underpaid workers are, wanting equal pay for equal work. Because it would cost the big Troubler Aussie $1.3 billion, it said. Does that mean using its own labour hire workers, it is exploiting them for $1.3 billion over and above the normal exploitation? Oh, it couldn't be, couldn't be. There must be some simple explanation, even if we can't think of it. Finally, on this piss waterhouse cop of the flax scandal, we're pleased to note the finance giant assures us the ripping off trillions does not reflect the company's values. As if we'd think it did. But the head of the Home Affairs Department, Mike Pizzullo, told a Senate inquiry he's not confident PwC can be trusted. Good news, Mike. We can assure you. Good morning. 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855am. Tune in and listen up. to the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, screening the very best documentaries from South by Southwest, Sundance, Tribeca 
as well as the best local Melbourne and Australian documentaries. Online from the 1st to the 31st of July and at Cinema Nova from the 21st to the 30th of July. For more information, head to mdff.org.au and cinemanova.com.au. The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon. Stay tuned, stay radical. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2023. To donate, call the station 03 9419 8377 or donate online, 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned, stay radical.
You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, the voice of the community. 3CR Community Radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. Oh, who's that from? A quick look won't hurt. What time are you picking up, Kate? Oh, damn it. Saw you on your phone. Licence, please. Pick up your phone while you're driving and it's a $555 fine and four demerit points. Distracted drivers can be caught anywhere, anytime. A message from the TAC. Drive safely for everyone. A 3CR supporter. We're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we've got Catherine Strong on the line from Extinction Rebellion. G'day, Catherine, how are you going? Uh, not too bad, thanks, how are you? Good, so there was a bit of an incident at the camp, you were saying. Uh, well, I'm at the camp right now, so just for anybody who doesn't have the background context, Extinction Rebellion has three days of action going on, we're calling it Occupy for Climate, and we've been in Parliament Gardens um, with uh, some camping gear where we were hoping to camp out for three nights. Uh, basically, we've been getting a lot of grief from the council and from the police. And at the moment, I am in the uh, the garden, and there is uh, oh, the the streets outside the gardens are lined with police cars. The gardens are full of cops. Uh, there's a small number of climate protests here because most of them have gone down to an event that was happening down by the river. 
So basically they've waited to a point where the protesters are vastly outnumbered. Uh, they are doing things like a young woman went to go to the toilet and a bunch of cops and, and officers from the council chased her down, have left her absolutely in tears. She just wanted to go to the toilet. They thought she was absconding or some nonsense like that uh, and have harassed her to the point that she is uh, uh, very distressed. Um, we've been told that we have uh, two hours to clear out of here or all of our gear will be confiscated. Um, and all we are trying to do is just do some protests around a very, very, very serious issue that nobody is taking action on uh, in the jurisdiction of a council that has apparently declared a climate emergency but is refusing to actually act on those words and is shutting down climate protests. Uh, so, so um, are you asking for people to go down there and assist you? Uh, if people wanted to come down and stand with us, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, we had a rally that was supposed to be starting at 11 o'clock today and we will do our absolute dandest to get that protest to still happen. So if people can't get down here now and they want to come to that protest instead and stand with us to show that this is not OK, um, then that would be absolutely amazing. Um, and, I mean, we're just hoping at this point that that protest is not going to be shut down. All right, so the rallies, where's the rally going to be at? Uh, the rally was going to start here at Parliament Gardens um, and uh, walk, uh, do a route through the city to uh, to the State Library. Um, we have a bunch of speakers from different organisations, not just Extinction Rebellion. Um, we have uh, Adam Baird is coming to speak. We've got a number of socialist groups speaking as well as forest groups um, and Blockade Australia is talking at that as well. Um, so uh, we're, it, it's going to be a great event regardless. We are, we are going to make something happen at that time. Um, but yes, if anybody could want to give us support right now at our camp at Parliament Gardens, that would also be appreciated. So, so what's been happening over the the previous two days? Because this is the this is the culmination. This is the last day of the uh, Occupy. That, that's right. So we were still going to be camping here tonight. Um, so on the first day on Thursday, uh, we did some disruptive actions uh, where we took a number of intersections in the city. Uh, and moved through the city, also visited a few uh, organisations that we know are responsible for doing damage when it comes to climate and environmental issues such as the Commonwealth Bank, who are putting a lot of money into fossil fuel projects, and also uh, Origin Energy, which just goes without saying that they, they have a big part to play in all of this stuff. Um, we had uh, did less disruptive stuff yesterday uh, because of Sorry Day, but we did go and camp out in the middle of the city, not camp, literally, but had a pop-up uh, event there which was talking about how we can think differently about our futures, uh, what we could be doing differently and how we don't just need to take what's happening at the moment for granted. Uh, and then, yes, a bunch of canoes on the Yarra River right now with a message about climate and then the slow march and later on today uh, also uh, on rock uh, event where, where we're just going to be... Well, the idea was to have a bit of fun with it. But whether the cops want to let us have fun is another matter altogether, of course. It's interesting, isn't it, the incredible pushback when, in actual fact, we are in a climate emergency. That's right. Uh, and as I said before, the, uh, the the council, Melbourne City Council, has declared a climate emergency. Uh, we're still looking for them to actually act as though that's the case and letting peaceful protest, so Extinction Rebellion, non-violent, strictly non-violent, peaceful group, uh, not letting peaceful protesters get out on the streets and get that message out there, uh, we think is absolutely going against what it is that they said they stand for. It's fascinating, the uh, use of legislation to uh, push down uh, demonstrations and build it around bylaws where people aren't allowed to obstruct 
um, footpaths and stuff like that. Uh, it, it, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because it's it's built around the idea that people need to be obedient. That's absolutely correct. And what we're seeing around the country right now is increasing repression of protests. So we've been in Queensland, we've been in Tasmania, we've seen just recently in South Australia, just last week, they've uh, vastly increased the penalties for people who undertake peaceful protests. And of course, we've seen it here in Victoria with the forest legislation that was put through, where again, uh, the fines for people who go in and, and take action to try and stop the destruction that's happening in those forests has been increased as well. I mean, fortunately, we've also seen the, the forest, uh, the logging uh, sounds like it's going to be shut down, but, uh, but that doesn't, you know, negate the point that uh, across the country, uh, protesters are being targeted. We are seeing repression of peaceful protests. And at a time when we need protests more than ever, because our governments are showing us that they are not taking action on this issue. Right? So the Labor government isn't as bad as the Liberal government, but the Liberal government was the worst government in the world, pretty much. So that's not a high bar to get over. Um, and they are still saying that they are going to be approving coal and gas projects. Uh, they've given the green light to Beedaloo. We've seen that they're doing it under dodgy circumstances. We cannot trust them to do the right thing by us. We need to take this issue into our own hands. We need to show that we are powerful. They know that we are powerful, and that is why they are repressing us. So everyone needs to get on the streets behind this issue. And uh, what's the feeling in the camp? I know that people are feeling a bit uh, pushed around by the police. That's the whole point of having long lines of police around you. But uh, what's the actual uh, sensibility um, and, and people are feeling defiant. Like we, we, we know that this is this is public space. We have a right to be in public space undertaking political activity. That is not something that people should be telling us that we can't do. And using, as you say, uh, these these feeble bylaws and and like anything that they can do to get at us. It. Uh, it, it, it's petty. Um, it, it's showing an ugly side of both the council and, and just, you know, the way that the police obviously can just be deployed uh, by the state or by the council in this, in this instance to sort of do their bidding. Um, and the bidding that they're doing is on, on the side of the, 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 the wrong side of history, so put it that way. So, yeah. yeah. Well, they'd, they'd say it was about public order. Um, have, you, have you been getting any responses from uh, the general public, as it were? Um, look, as, as always, when we take to the streets and do the things that we do, we get a mixed response. Um, there is always uh, some people who are very uh, upset and angry that we're doing what we're doing. Um, people don't like to be disrupted, um, but we appreciate that. Um, we, we know that that's not great. Um, we, we sort of tend to, to respond with, look, um, this is something we do out of love, because if you think this is disruption, <laughs> go talk to somebody in Lismore. But we also do always get a lot of positive responses. So for every person who says something angry to us, we, we usually get two or three people who give us thumbs up, who give us a positive response, happy toots on the horn rather than angry toots. So, so there is definitely a lot of support for what we do out there. So, Catherine, you're calling on people to come down to Parliament Gardens. There's a rally at 11 uh, and uh, there's speakers. Absolutely, that would be amazing. Thanks very much for taking some time out to talk to us, Catherine. Thank you for thank you for hearing me. Thank you. Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit emergency response service committed to assisting wildlife in need across Victoria. Our trained and dedicated volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned animals so they can be released back to their native habitat. If you see wildlife that may need our help, please contact us on 8400 7300. 
To donate or register to become a volunteer, hop onto our website at wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Oh, I realised I turned off my mic. I got so excited about the whole idea of police cordoning people off, uh, activists uh, defending the environment uh, down at Parliament Gardens. Now, Parliament Gardens is just down from Treasury. Oh, no, Parliament Gardens is just beside Parliament, actually. That's where the um, fountains are and uh, the uh, statues, etc. So uh, go down there and uh, check out what's going on. There's going to be uh, speeches at 11am, a rally in support of uh, the environment uh, and uh, Extension Rebellion have been uh, occupying the centre of Nam, Melbourne uh, for the last few days and this is the final day and you can tell that they are committed people because it's been incredibly cold over the for Melbourne it's been very cold over the last few days so uh, go down there and support them uh, it's always um, bracing when you get lines of cops all around you you know you're actually having an effect mind you uh, purely uh, being dis, uh, in the way uh, when it comes to a climate emergency uh, and uh, people feeling that you're disrupting their daily life. As Catherine said, uh, just tell it to the people who live in Lismore. Uh, that's the end of the program today. We heard from our most recent contributor, Anila, who was speaking to Ian McIntyre from the Commons Social Change Library, an online library that supports activists. Uh, we uh, heard from Miles Parnell Gilbert, who's a friend of the uh, MacIver Reserve spokesperson. Um, MacIver Reserve is over in the west, uh, Maribyrnong Council. It's been a long time green space, and uh, they're defending it from the notion that it should have a uh, stadium on it. Uh, when there's other brown sites available for such a thing. Uh, the uh, construction unions led by the CFMEU have put a green band on that construction site, um, future construction site. Uh, and we spoke to Catherine Long, Strong from uh, Extinction Rebellion, who are now uh, in the Parliament Gardens. Coming up next is... Uh, Asia-Pacific Currents, there's been a lot of things going on for uh, union um, activists in the Asia-Pacific region over the last few days with a Cambodian um, uh, unionist being jailed for two years for uh, doing what a, a union um, organiser delegate does, which is uh, talk about human rights and workers' rights. Uh, so uh, perhaps that's something that they're going to be talking about uh, anyway. Uh, we'll go out with um, uh, a song that I thought was just perfect for the moment. It may have been Camelot for Jack and Jacqueline But on the Che Guevara Highway filling up with gasoline Fidel Castro's brother spies a rich lady who's crying over the luxury's disappointment so he walks over and he's trying to sympathise with her but he thinks that he should warn her that the third world is just around the corner
the Soviet Union A scientist is blinded By the resumption of nuclear testing And he is reminded That Dr. Robert Oppenheimer's optimism fell At the first hurdle Only noise I hear is the sound of someone stacking chairs and mopping up spilled beer, and someone asking questions and basking in the light of the 15 fame filled minutes of the fanzine writer. Mixing pop and politics. He asks me what the use is. I offer him embarrassment for my usual excuses while looking down the corridor out to where the van is waiting. I'm looking for the right leap forward. Jumbo sales are organized. There's still parties to be hosted. You can be active with the activists or sleeping with the sleepers while you're waiting for the drive to lead forwards. Ah,、uh, one lead forwards, two leads back. Will politics get me the sack? Waiting for the drive to lead forwards. Well, here comes the future, and you can't run from it. If you've got a blacklist, I want to be on it. And cut out the middle man. Right, lead forward. A perfect world with all singing tune, but this is reality. Skip some rope. Right, lead forward. So join the struggle while you make the revolution. It's just a tune. Shut up, boys. Did you enjoy listening to that podcast? 3CR is a community radio station, and you, the listener, are a part of that community. Right now, it's our radiothon. We need you to pitch in with a few dollars to keep the station going. We can't do it without you. It's easy. Head to 3cr.org.au/donate. Your donations really matter.